I'm Gari Mangala, and this is On Target. Today on Target, Mary Fraser and I will be discussing the search for a new college life dean. Then we will sit down with Anna Sincata and discuss her first semester tenure as editor-in-chief of the Gettysburgian. Stay with us. And we're back. Mary, uh, we're so close to the end of our last semester. Uh, well, the beginning of our last semester and end of break. How has your winter break been? Um, it's been pretty good. It's been very low key. I have not really gone anywhere um, as I'm not supposed to. So um, I've been watching a lot of Netflix and relaxing. Um, been spending a lot of time with my parents because that's who I'm quarantined with while I'm home and I'm an only child so those are the people I hang yep, out with while only I'm home. Child gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've also been spending a lot of time with my dog which has been lovely she's 13 so you know we cherish our my moments with her um yeah, that's about it. Nothing really interesting. I'm a fielding fellow, so I've been working on work for that. But I mean, that's about it. Nothing really that exciting this winter break. Yeah, I think that's been like the, I mean, for most people that are being safe and stuff, it's been like staying inside. And st I got really into, um, I bought myself Stardew Valley um, on Boxing Day. I was like, ooh, I'll, I'll start a new game. I, my friends, ever since quarantine started, my friends have slowly been trying to get me into more video games because I'm just not that type of person and all my friends are. So, like, they started me on, like, first-person shooters, and then we got Minecraft for a while. And then they're like, ooh. I think you'd really like Stardew Valley. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And, like, it seemed really similar to Animal Crossing, and I thought that that one looked interesting. So I got Stardew Valley. Um, it's addictive. Uh, hello. Um, it's incredibly addictive. Uh, I'm just glad. I think I've burned myself out of it enough that it's not going to be a problem when I go back to campus. But then again, who, who knows? Right? Who knows? See, I've never played a video game like in my life. So I don't really know what any of those things mean. But I'm glad it won't distract you. Yeah, you it's, like a, it's a it's um, a like a farming sim. So you can like grow crops and fish and mine. And then you can like play with these little like little people that are like nice and they give you gifts. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's very sweet. It's a very sweet game. Anybody who's like a friend of mine that's listening to this, I understand. I just butchered explaining the game, but like it's whatever. Um, but yeah, so Mary and I just got back from, uh, oh, if you're listening, it's uh, we're recording this on Thursday, January 21st. And um, it's a few days before I go back to campus, about a week before Mary goes back. And we just came going back to 25th, Gari. So oh my we'll God, probably be going back around the same time. Yeah, I come back the 24th, so we get to hang out. A bunch of people from the Gettysburg, I think, are coming back early one way or another. Um, we got a lot of <laughs> leaders on our staff that have to be back for fun things. Um, we'll get lunch. It'll be great. We could probably record a podcast in person. It'll be lovely. We'll get some oh nice ambiance from the masks, like just like the air coming through. It'll be great. It'll be the mask podcast. It'll be great. It'll be real realistic. Yeah, the pod mask. Ooh. That's a, that's a term. Um, but yeah, so we're about to head back. And as people that are keeping up with the news of Gettysburg College may know, we are currently in another search. Uh, I feel like we've only been in searches since we were sophomores. Uh, in a search for the VP of College Life to replace uh, Dean Julie Ramsey, who's been with us uh, for I don't even know how many years. Uh, but she is, I think, another one of the people that everybody kind of assumed that when uh, President Riggs announced her retirement a couple of years back, there was like a group of people that everyone assumed was going to retire and follow suit. And Dean Ramsey was definitely one of them. Uh, and that search has commenced. And we just came from a listening session that was open to like all students on campus uh, with a representative from the hiring firm that they're using, um, with Kiefer, that's W-I-F-F. K-I-E-F-F-E-R, um, and a consultant um, came to speak to students. It was really interesting. Uh, I expected there to be a lot more people at that. I also expected there to be a lot more people. I expected it to be one of those Zoom sessions where there's pages and pages of faceless just names on yeah. Zoom. Um, because I was planning on being one of them. I was planning on just listening in and hearing what people had to say, but there was a grand total of, what, 
seven, eight students. Seven, eight students. And I was the only non-Greek life student there, which was really interesting. You were, but you were not the only student there whose sole purpose was to defend Greek life. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, I wasn't I, the only person whose sole purpose wasn't to defend Greek life. Yes. <laughs> um, Everybody so who listens I, to this podcast I, is like, what are you talking about? Gary's <laughs> never defending Greek life in her life. <laughs> So my, my point being, I came because Gari specifically said, we're talking about this on the podcast. We're going to this. Um, I did not go in capacity as a member of the organization on campus. I did not speak for my organization on campus whatsoever. Um, I did, in fact, raise my hand, though, when she asked how many of us were in Greek life, um, and Gari was the sole member holding down the fort for yeah. what is it gdis gdis goddamn um. independence i almost <laughs> like i almost was gonna speak to that because so it was a really interesting conversation because a lot of it circles around greek life which i didn't expect i don't know why but i think that <laughs> in these searches we've always found that greek life students come and you were talking about this before we got on greek life students tend to come in droves to these meetings i remember sitting in one of the first sessions talking about um in one of the presidential searches when we ended up finding bob like greek life students came in droves to defend greek life but no one had talked about them in the first place like everyone was talking about like diversity and inclusion and like talking about title nine and the thing is greek life sometimes self-selects themselves that like if we're talking about an issue of sexual assault or an issue of diversity and inclusion on campus we're obviously calling out greek life and i don't think we always are frankly um i think there's some institutional problems that are uh like people are talking about you know just the um systemic racism that comes up in greek life and a lot of people are like this is a greek life problem not a gettysburg problem and i'm like i think it's reversed because it's what happens when you go to a like a predominantly white institution it's not you know it's not I'm, I'm not blaming the gettysburg greek life system specifically i'm not blaming the greek life system specifically i'm blaming gettysburg specifically um and i think that that was something that just kept coming up that people were ignoring so then everybody was talking about how greek life is this really exclusive thing and that like some people feel ostracized but like speaking as a a diehard gdi as a goddamn independent who's never <laughs> considered joining greek life we're doing fine. Like, I think that that needs to be said for my people. Like, we're doing okay. Uh, people who didn't choose to rush, for the most part, don't regret it. Um, and I would also say, like, we don't go to one of those schools where, like, hundreds of people rush and hundreds of people don't get in. You know? Yes. I, it's a very small minority, and I think it's mostly, like, people who have rushed sororities that have had an yeah. issue with where they've been placed or not getting placed at all or dropping from rush and they get over yeah. it very quickly. Um, so <laughs> I think that like, and this has been an issue that I remember coming up when Senate did their Greek life report that one of the issues that they brought up with Greek life was how exclusive it is. No one cares. <laughs> like, like you can join your club. Like, I feel like exclusivity is almost like part of Greek life. You know what I mean? Not and I'm That's not trying to joy. say that in a bad way. Yeah, but it's an organization that you basically apply to and may or may not get in. Like it's an organization because it's not everybody. Like I feel like you can only make it so inclusive. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And I'm not I'm not saying this in a way that we can't be more like socioeconomic, racial, like religious, like inclusive i'm just saying that like at some point like there will be gettysburg students who are not part of the greek organization and a lot of them just don't want to be and that's fine um but like yeah. again that happens to everything and like speaking from someone who's part of the college house system which is not everybody wants to make it like the like non-druggy like greek like, like it's not okay everybody it's there's not. good and bad people in both <laughs> organizations trust me i've seen them I've been the house leader for some of them, but uh, like there's exclusivity in that too. Like at the end of this semester, people will apply to live in Humor House, the house that I'm the house leader of, and I will facilitate um, a system where which people can voice any feedback they have about those app applying. And then I go into a room with every other house leader in the college house system and we fight over people in the same way that recruitment happens. 
Yeah. The only difference is, is that I don't get to keep any of, like, I don't get to buy beer with the money that they spent to live in the house that they <laughs> back to the college. That's the only difference. But it was just really interesting to see that, like, this is a, this is a search for the vice president of college life. That includes uh, student activities, that includes student senate, that includes, um, I believe to some extent it includes, like, res life. You know, it includes first year programming, it includes, um, Title IX includes uh, like uh, bias incidents. It includes student conduct, but everyone just want to talk about Greek life, and I think that says a lot more about the anxiety that people in Greek life have right now, because we're seeing nationwide people realizing that hey, this system's a little weird. And I think that that's the statement I've come to after four years of college. I I think that there are good people in Greek life, Mary. I think you're you know ninety five percent of the good people I know in Greek life. <laughs> But like, I'm a little concerned that I'm a whole 95%, but okay. <laughs> Sarcasm, eh. But, uh, but like, it's, there's good people, there's bad people. I think there's like good things about Greek life. I think there's a lot of bad things about Greek life, but it's just mostly a weird system. Like, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not something that will ever, I think, be normalized in the way that it yeah. used to be. I think that's very fair. I think because it's kind of such an archaic system, it'll always have problems unless it's like completely revamped. And something they touched on at the meeting, which I have to admit I agree to, is a lot of the problem is that each Greek organization has a nationals that is not affiliated with Gettysburg that often does like tie the organization's hands as to how much you can change it and make it work better for today's culture, the college, all of, all of the subjects, all of the things. Um, and, or like you won't get funding or your chapter will get shut down. Like it's, some of it is very big ultimatum things. Um, so that's also a whole part of it. So I think a lot of it is not necessarily just Gettysburg grief life needing to get their act together. Often it's just the world in general needing to get their act together yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I, I think about that sometimes. I think it's more prevalent in fraternities that I've, like, had a feeling about this, where it's, like, old white dudes determining what, like, 18-year-old dudes do with their, yes. like, club of friends. Like, that's so strange to me. I remember, I don't know if I've ever told this story. Um, definitely not on the podcast, but, like, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Mary. <laughs> it was freshman first night out to a fraternity, and I went to a fraternity that I will not name, but I'm sure you can guess. And... Okay. Um, there was like some alumni there that weekend, I guess. And there was a dude there that was bald, like, as in like, he had lost his hair and he was definitely like in his late twenties to early thirties. And he was just there and it was so strange. And there were like other guys there, but he was like hanging out. And I was like, freshly out of the high school womb. I was 18 years old and he's just like, sort of hitting on me. And it's just so strange to me because I'm like, you graduated so long ago. Like, what are you doing here? And I bring, and the reason I bring it up is not to be like, this is a weird thing that happened to me at a frat, but like, it's more like, why are these older people so involved? Or like, I remember seeing, <laughs> I saw like this group of old men that were like 70 years old doing like a five side chant one time outside. That was crazy. That was hilarious. But I think that there's something so interesting about like the alumni network of fraternities and sororities that are so deeply invested in these organizations where people can't change things if they want to. I think that it's really tough on a lot of like the 19 and 20 year olds that are in Gettysburg Greek life that want to make changes. But then there's these older people that are like, oh, we're not going to change anything about our system that are holding them back. And I don't know how to fix that because it, it, it does come down to funding. And it also, I, I assume people want to be a part of it because there's a national. So you go anywhere and you're like, I'm a Theta Kappa Frappa, whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a Frappuccino. Like I want to know other Frappuccinos from like Arizona. Is that a part of it? Um, I mean, there are alumni chapters that you can join afterwards, at least in my sorority, I'd assume that's like a thing everywhere in every organization. Um, yeah, I don't, I think, I think this actually is like a very strange issue, but like a pertinent one. Like we've already had, we've already written, you know, as the Gettysburg version articles 
that are unfavorably looking at various Greek life organizations. And we've had alumni who are several years out of Gettysburg alumni comment and say like, my fraternity is never like that. Like we would yeah. never do that. How yeah. like, dare you talk about that? I was like, you are, you are 20 and 30 years out of Gettysburg. Like you actually don't know what is happening day to day in your fraternity. You really cannot speak to this. Maybe you know what your values were when you were on campus, which could also still be questionable <laughs> um, since it was 30 years ago, but you definitely don't know the day to day of your fraternity unless you're living there speaking with the young men that are joining your chapter. <laughs> and, I, and I think the most recent time that this <laughs> happened was when Phi Gamma Delta, Fiji, as it's known, the fraternity has been like recently uh, like dismantled or whatever it is from campus for like COVID violations. How can you say what your fraternity would have done in a pandemic that didn't exist then? Like these are protocols that only exist now. You don't know how your fraternity would have reacted. And it's also people that are like, my friends, my friends and friends were like in this fraternity. Like it's so distant. And I think, you know, a lot of it's because Greek life is so different now. Um, and in some ways it is for the better. I think as we go on, we'll see a more progressive Greek life. Pivoting a little bit though. And I remember this was also something that you and I were chatting about. There was nobody from the search committee at this. And there were no, 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 get, I, no how, I, how I worded it was there was no Gettysburg adults. Yeah. <laughs> obviously were, were adults, but no Gettysburg like faculty staff, like no one was there. It's just so strange to me because I, I've been to smaller searches, but I remember like I went to a search for the new development VP and it was like chock full of faculty. I went to um, the presidential search and it was like chock full of like administrators and like people on the search committee. Some people that I didn't know the names of, you know, like some board of trustees members and people that are more behind the scenes, but like there were people there and there was no one yeah. in the Zoom meeting. And I found that really interesting because um, especially for people on the search committee who would probably know people that were in that Zoom call, I would rather hear it from the horse's mouth than hear what this third party firm who like is supposed to be translating it to back you know, to their research. I would want to hear it, how students are saying it because there are things that the students were saying in that meeting that are very Gettysburg centric. And I think would have been helpful for the search committee to know. I don't think that meeting was recorded. I didn't see any record button in there. So it's really, I don't know. It was just a bit disappointing to not see anybody there. And then also at the same time, it was disappointing in general to not see that many people there at all. Um, just because I view the... VP of college life position as incredibly important. I understood that students weren't really involved in development or even enrollment because it's not going to really affect them. But like, I would argue that the VP of college life after president is like the most important position for students to be aware of who's in that position and to care about it. Um, there was a point during uh, Michael Berkner, who is history professor at Mary Loves and is also like considered to be, you know, the one of these like uh, uh, pockets of knowledge on campus. He said something that has stuck with me to this day during the development search for the VP of development. He's like, this, these people need to focus more on, the, for, on students and faculty. Um, I understand it's a business, but like you really need to focus on how you're going to engage your faculty. And I think that that's the, that's the responsibility of the VP of College Life is to be student-centered and faculty-centered and like community-centered on the people that are on campus. You know, we have alumni yeah. networks to do all of that other stuff. We have people to focus on like the cupola society and the money and the donations, but this is somebody who's supposed to be Gettysburg-centric for the students and to be advocating for those students that are currently going to the college, that are currently being faced with whatever they're being faced with. And to yeah. not see more students there, to not see anybody from student senate there was very disappointing. To not see anybody from the executive board who could advocate for what students want holistically and not just for Greek life, that was really disappointing. And I, I hope that if there's another listening session at some point, we'll get more turnout from those people because student leaders go beyond, you know, the diversity chair of uh, what, what's one of the monikers I use? Uh, Sigma apple pie. I try to, <laughs> I've been trying to do my best over the years to stop calling out specific fraternities and sororities when I'm making these hypotheticals. I don't know. I really enjoyed Frappuccino. Frappuccino, Sigma apple pie. I heard Kappa Rafa on a TikTok once. 
I don't. Oh, strange. I think Frappuccino has been my best work so far. <laughs> Frappuccino um, pie. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also disappointed that there weren't more people there. I feel like Dean Ramsey, um, much like we were, ta- we were talking about this um, a little bit in the meeting and then outside the meeting, how JMR became such a beloved, like, almost institutionalized figure in Gettysburg. I feel like Dean Ramsey really held um, that same kind of everyone knew who she was, how everything she was involved in. She really cared about the students. Everyone knew that she cared about the students. Um, And it was a little disappointing to not see more people turn out. Um, They asked us in the meeting how we're staying connected with campus. (laughs) Um, And I felt like that would be one way to stay connected. Like, let's find someone who can fill these ginormous shoes that Dean Ramsey is leaving behind. And there was a total of eight people um, there. I had mentioned in the meeting that I know numerous people that went to her with personal, like very individualized personal issues um that pertain to like Gettysburg and the surrounding community and she would she responded in kind um very she really seemed to care about the situation and um how that needs to be shown in the person that we choose to fill this role and I know I'm not the only one who has like had a personal connection with Dean Ramsey so I can't imagine why there was only seven of us there eight of us there and it Gary and I were the only ones who were not there in a capacity to defend Greek life yeah and I mean like I've never been someone to defend Dean Ramsey but I've definitely always been someone to like defend the position as something that of importance um, I mean, yeah. I would still say with every dying breath that I think Darian Davenport should take over the position, but he's also <laughs> chair of the search committee. So that would be a fun turn of events. Um, I think, you know, uh, I spoke specifically in the meeting and this was something that I even advocated for heavily in, um, in the presidential search was institutional knowledge and someone who was coming from Gettysburg or somewhere similar to Gettysburg. And then we ended up, you know, with someone like Bob who has his merits, but at the same time is still somebody who's coming from a big institution like Harvard is coming from being a lawyer and dealing with, you know, what big Ivy League schools deal with. And then we went through, you know, COVID and all these things. And I think that it was a really, for people in our grade, as well as uh, the juniors and the seniors that came before us, I think it was really, there were moments where we could see that this was a new president. And I think the continuity was shifted so thoroughly. Um, One example that I really have thought about a lot is we haven't heard, we haven't gotten a single email about um, the inauguration or, or um, the, the coup that happened on the Capitol on January 6th. And I'm remembering back to when uh, Donald Trump uh, swore to remove DACA a little bit before you and I entered campus, we received an email from JMR. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who this woman was. And we got an email of her defending Dreamer students and defending students that had DACA. Um, And there was, I believe, an understanding. Same thing happened with Charlottesville Mm -hmm. uh, when that Charlottesville situation happened. And that you know, kind that of was date like days yeah, before our conversation. It was the shadow of our conversation. That was the first uh, piece I wrote for the Guinness Virgin was about Charlottesville. All of our things during our convocation were about Charlottesville. And not seeing that, not receiving an email on January 6th when that was happening, not receiving an email during the inauguration, um, yet receiving a really tired email about Martin Luther King's Day, where it was. Uh, telling students to be activists and to actively participate by attending a Zoom link and listening to a podcast that e- wasn't even on Target, no, I'm um, <laughs> was really upsetting um, for me. And I just hope that someone entering the role as important as a college life person um, can understand that students are more than Gettysburg College students and there's things outside of Gettysburg College that do affect them. And I think that that yeah. was something that we've seen a lot as, you know, we're living in this historic moment, both with like 
the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the changing of political hands in our election um, and everything that's happening in the world. I think it's really important that we have somebody who's worldly in that way and is thinking about us as a globalized community as they keep wanting to <laughs> push us to be um, as these like globalized people. I don't know. I, maybe I'm being picky and maybe I'm being judgy about it, but I just, uh, I was expecting some sort of communication. Um, I no, I don't think you're being, I don't think you're being picky about it at all. I completely agree with that. Um, I was, I actually saw a TikTok making fun of college presidents yes. who send emails big events like what we talked about and I was like oh I haven't gotten mine yet and then I realized I just never got one um and as weird as it is you know that was kind of like a reassurance like yeah you kind of make fun of it but it was like part of our college atmosphere and the small liberal arts Gettysburg experience um so it's definitely strange not to get it um and yeah I think someone filling the college life role needs to have like empathy and compassion especially dirt like right now um but as we're saying a lot of the job is not just running Osagle and student senate it's individualized student experiences and it needs to some be someone who's personable and will actually care about an individualized student experience and is not um there because you know they're just qualified for the job yeah um, yeah definitely there's also something to be said that even if it's not gettysburg alumni itself like a small college experience i think it's just I, I, there's merits to not having someone from gettysburg because that can very often be too institutionalized yeah <laughs> but we just there's so much tradition and background even with like how you talked about JMR that if you don't have that kind of background knowledge, it's very difficult to step into like Gettysburg College shoes in any large administrative capacity. Yeah, I mean, I think collegiate nepotism runs in the way that we <laughs> run anything at Gettysburg. It's like, that's just, yeah. I mean, that's how people go up the ladder just in student organizations. It's like, mm -hmm. you're the first year rep, when you're a first year and you're the one who goes to Senate and you're uh, the bottom B and then somehow four years later, you're the president. Like that's just how it goes for every organization on campus. I feel um, yeah. uh, an upperclassman kind of handholds you your first couple weeks. Of, <laughs> I mean, that's how I'm where I am in the Guinness Virgin. Ben Ponce held my hand <laughs> and pulled me up. Um, and I think, that, uh, <laughs> but I think there's some benefit to it, you know, I think that that like, yeah, like you learn and you see how other people you did your time, you did your time, but also you're able to sit there and critique those people that have come before you and see what you want to change. And you're hearing everybody else around you and what they want. Um, yeah. And I, I think that like, there is something in that. I think JMR had her like finger on the pulse of what. And I have had critiques for her and I still continue to have critiques for her, but I just, you know, mm -hmm. I respected her awareness of things that were going to affect students. I remember when yeah. um, the tree of life ha situation happened. I remember when um, there was something else. Uh, oh, when Garthwaite obviously happened. Like there were a lot yes. of moments where we would receive and we would scoff at it. We would receive a lot of emails from JMR and we were scoffing at the time, but at least there was like a recognition that like, hey, we know you have classes today, but we also know that this is on your mind. Or hey, we know that you're about to move into school and something life like shifting has been said by the president of the United States. And you might be worried about how this affects your college experience. This is what I want you to know. And I think that, that was a really important thing. Like for me, for me originally, I was supposed to already be back on campus, right? And I was supposed to be on campus for the inauguration. Um, January 6th happens. I'm freaking out about being on campus in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for the inauguration. Um, I received nothing from the president of my college. I received an innocuous email from ResLife saying that they've pushed back my move in. I re I've enjoyed to receive an email about that decision being made. Like, hey, we understand that you might be afraid of 
what might come <laughs> based on the situation that we've already seen last semester, which is like, you know, Trump trains rolling through town and yeah. massive like situations and we're so close to DC. And I think that that would have been, I mean, I think there's still room to just be like, hey, we as Gettys for College uh, would just like to let you know that we are aware. Um, we, I would like a, a, perhaps a statement just saying like, we support the fact that Joe Biden is the 46th president. Cause that's something, Honestly. Uh, that's something <laughs> that that's I, a question now. <laughs> that's a question now. And I would like to know that that's where we stand, that we're not like sitting here spreading false information because when it comes down to it, we're a college that has been speaking so broadly and so deeply about, um, you know, political conversations. I mean, that was the entirety of Bob's first year at Gettysburg was just trying to have this like yeah. discourse. We kept talking about discourse and discourse. This is what it's amounted to. We're here now. We had, we had these political conversations and these seminars that kept not going well or kept going well. Every other week we have, we have um, the poli side department talking about it. We have Eisenhower Institute talking about it. And now radio silence. It's just, it's very intriguing. And I don't know if it's like to not insult certain students on campus that might have wrong opinions, but I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for my email. It's like, <laughs> I'm just waiting for my email. <laughs> if even anyone if, is listening, I'm waiting for my email. <laughs> even if it's an email that it's like, I mean, we've gotten these before, I guess, but it's like, it's now is even more uncertain than before. Like the uncertainty has just grown yeah. in the last two weeks. Yeah. We've gone through an insurrection and a change in political power, an inauguration that lots of people were convinced bad things were going to take place during. Yes. Um, your moving dates have been moving around. Your classes, are they in person? Who knows? There's just a lot of confusion and unknown right now and even if it's an email that it's like you're feeling like you don't know things us two guys which is probably not comforting but at least we're on the same wavelength um I just feel like yeah um I I just the, think it's been so long since anybody has viewed any email from the president as just another COVID update yeah. and this break would have been a great time to bring back that like personal touch Especially because first yeah. years haven't experienced it at all, um, yeah. or sophomores to an extent. Like really, they yeah. don't know that experience. But I think the juniors and specifically the senior. I mean, the backdrop of that. I think that that's always going to stick with me is the backdrop of um, Charlottesville as we entered college, so close to UVA. Um, mm -hmm. I think for a lot of the seniors, you know, we had the backdrop of Charlottesville. Um, our first year book was Station Eleven. You know, yeah. we were prepped. We were prepped. We were, we, we were scarily prepped for this moment. Yeah. Like um, we were, Daria, I forget. Yeah, I forget if we had, I think we have this conversation on a podcast. Yeah. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or in person, but about <laughs> Station 11 was about a pandemic. Yeah. That it, was almost the first thing I thought about when this all started. Like back in March or April, I was like, huh, maybe I should go back and read that book again. Like, yeah, and in my case, I, I was like, maybe I should actually read that book now. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I think about it sometimes because I think about, I mean, as I've, I've seen a couple commencement ceremonies and I think about like what our student speaker would talk about. I'm like, they have to talk about Station Eleven. They have to talk about it. They have to. There's they can't no not way talk you about can't it. bring it up. If, you, if they don't bring it up, they definitely didn't read it, which like granted, lots of people didn't read it, but like someone... Someone around them had to have read it and been like, yeah, you need like to read I it think real you quick. need to like, I, like read it real quick and then write your speech. I think it's just really, really important. And I think that I don't know. I just think in general, we we had such a we had a like a first year that has been so indicative of what our senior year has become. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's mind blowing sometimes. I don't know how we got to this like space in the conversation, but like. It's crazy to think about. And I keep thinking about um, when I went to see, uh, I saw Black Klansman, the Spike Lee film. And at the end of, not to spoil Black Klansman, but at the end of Black Klansman, they show footage of Charlottesville happening. 
Oh, wow. I haven't and, seen it, but wow. Yeah. Uh, and you're sitting there and you're just like, huh. And, but I'm sitting there and I'm like remembering what it felt like to be like, oh, I'm about to enter college in a very rural area similar to Charlottesville. This could happen at my school. Um, and I heard horror stories about like the KKK showing up to Gettysburg College at that point mm-hmm. and seeing that. And it just keeps coming back up. And then, you know, we saw Charlottesville and then we're seeing what happened at the Capitol. And everybody wants to sit there and compare the Black Lives Matter movement to what happened with the Capitol. I was sitting there comparing what happened with Charlottesville to what happened at the Capitol. Um, and the bookends of that as a, as a moment, as a moment in time. And I don't know. I think that this semester is going to be really interesting for a lot of reasons. I think it's going to be really interesting um, with these searches, with, you know, the changes in the presidential committee, with not having first years on campus could be a very different energy um, with us trying to graduate out the first class that's been an entire year um, on Zoom. Yeah. And then with this political moment, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. And political science is like what our largest major history is yeah. second, something crazy like that. So you can't say that this is not important to the college. This is very much part of the college. I mean, the Eisenhower Institute, I'm excited to see what they push out. I was looking over, I was putting together a master list of like all the events that we definitely need to cover and just seeing sort of some of the things that like the history department's putting out and the women's center is putting out. I think, I think it's going to be a really interesting semester and hopefully, um, I'm hoping that the podcast will go back to being more weekly as Mary and I will be back on campus and can hopefully do in-person um, podcasting together so we don't have to deal with the lag and things like that so I'm really excited to you know get back into it and talk about all the yeah. things that are going to be so weird in our last semester um, and finally recruiting our replacements yeah that's a little bit of a scary thought I wasn't really prepped to discuss that today um, neither was yeah. I neither was I but I was our thinking about it I guess this is our formal first advertisement that we're going to need podcasters to continue on this lovely tradition. um, I think that's going to be really interesting. So if you have any like suggestions of people you guys think that should take over, um, leave us a comment on Facebook at the Gettysburgian, or I believe there's a comment section on the website, like on the podcast post where you can comment there. Or I will personally plug the Instagram DMs of the Gettysburgian. Yeah. Um, I, Hit us up. I sometimes the read The Twitter, them. the Gettysburgian. <laughs> um, let us know who you think should take over. I personally think that uh, Ben should come back. And, um, and That'd be should, brilliant. He should do it with, um, let's see here. Oh, you know what? Ben and JMR. I think that that would be a great commentary. Just two alumni. Yeah. Dishin. Dishin. Those yes. are my first... I love that. You need, you need Ben. You need Ben just for the bullet report, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. I know people have been missing that, but we don't <laughs> have any sports right now, so it's like that's uh, true. So we can't wait till sports come back before we bring Ben back. Yeah. Who else are you thinking? Are you thinking about anybody special? Uh, anyone special? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm fresh out of. I'm fresh out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. So let's see what people come up with. And bring then, us back. You want alumni? Bring us. We'll be alumni. Oh, we'll be alumni. Oh, well, we technically, we already are. Gettysburg College. Technically, we already are alumni because we had a Twilight Walk. So. That's such a weird distinction. I know. Yeah. But, <laughs> Unpopular uh, opinion. I'm not alumni until I graduate. <laughs> well, <laughs> then what are you going to say about the class of 2020? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes sorry Ben <laughs> I feel as though I just super offended you <laughs> he's in England he's fine um yeah and with that we'll be right back
And we're joined with the Guinness Virgins Editor-in-Chief, Anna Sincata. Uh, Anna has just finished her first semester tenure as Editor-in-Chief and is ready to start up her second and final semester, both as Editor-in-Chief and obviously as a student of Gettysburg College. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, I'm so excited to be on the podcast. <laughs> so, so Anna, you just finished up like what is probably an unprecedented uh, semester um, of covering college news. Um, what was uh, the experience of being kind of thrown into, you know, like a COVID semester, you know, all of us coming back and then, you know, also being sent home and doing it remotely? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough to start <laughs> my tenure with that kind of a semester. And I think mostly just because so much of the staff's engagement and the exciting parts of being a campus news organization come from being together and brainstorming with each other. So the fact that we were sent home, or the majority of us were sent home so early on, kind of threw a wrench in <laughs> that sort of engagement. Um, but at the same time, there is an element of gratitude in that we were able as a team to cover some really important stuff our first semester, and we were able to cover it in a way that was ongoing. So I think both of those things are really important. And I think it's great that our staff has had experience just covering this kind of stuff as it comes out and, and kind of hustling to get those stories out there. So that was also kind of, I mean, all of it was not necessarily the best outcome, but at the same time for journalists and student journalists, I think it was, um, Gettys Virgin provided a good outlet for us in terms of having purpose during that time. And I think, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but you kind of also experienced this kind of whirlwind tour of the who's who of the Gettysburg administration of getting to know, you know, Bob and then getting to know the coming and going members of the President's Council. So in terms of just the the new level of institutional knowledge that this has given you, what 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 are your takeaways from, I guess, just the administration as a whole, but also the way that they're, they've been handling uh, COVID? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think one of my takeaways from kind of this whirlwind tour, as you put it, has been that President Giuliano has really been making a, an effort to be more transparent this semester and prioritizing communication. And I think that's something that I don't know if you, Gary and Maddie, Gary and Mary, oh my God, cut that, experienced. Um, but just the fact that there wasn't a whole lot or enough, in our opinion, communication at the outside of all of this. Um, and I feel like I've noticed a shift in the spring. And I think I'm, I'm grateful for that shift. Um, I think part of my concern is that with Dean Ramsey leaving and kind of all these changes going right going on right now with the president's council I'm um I'm feeling like I'm I'm introducing myself but also right after introductions okay so let's talk about all these important things that I'd really like to cover for the Gettys Virgin because there's all these ongoing stories so yeah I guess these whirlwind introductions and not really being able to sit down face to face with these members of that like the admin team has been um, its own challenge and meeting everyone through zoom for the first time, uh, has definitely been tough, but at the same time, people have been pretty accessible, which I appreciate, especially this spring. So I, I don't foresee it being an issue and maybe I'll get to see them in person this semester. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I think Mary, uh, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past, the pod about just like, that level of transparency or lack thereof of like decisions that are being made. Mary, what do you think? Um, I definitely feel, and maybe this is a little skewed since I was remote last semester and not this semester, um, but I definitely feel like I'm being communicated with better um, on like the whole spectrum. So like, I feel like there's um, the rubric was a bit better explained. President Giuliano sending more emails. I, uh, we're getting all sorts of COVID updates. And again, this might be because I like was switched to remote study. But once I was home, I felt like I really wasn't getting updates unless it was like uh, email from the president. 
remote students didn't really get updates. And that was definitely, especially because I started with the residential cohort. Um, it was like hard to, to really know what was going on on campus. The only way I really knew it was going on when I is when I like talked to my friends who were still living here. Um, so I definitely feel like there's more communication. Um, but again, I'm not remote this semester. So I don't know if that's just because I am now on campus and getting all the emails and the remote kids still are not. Um, even though I wasn't on campus, getting all of the information that you guys were still getting would have been nice because it would have felt like I was still kind of part of you guys. <laughs> um, I, I'm saying you guys to Gari because I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, so I also am glad, Anna, that we are getting more information and I feel like it's a little bit more transparent and um, yeah, just what is expected of us for the most part seems to be better spelled out. There's still a few things that are murky that I have some feelings about, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And it was something that we kind of, I don't think we immediately knew it last semester, but we started discovering that there was information that like the residential cohort was receiving that the remote cohort wasn't receiving. And I'm interested to see just because I think that that the numbers of that are different now, but like, how much information is the first year class getting now as a whole? Um, and then I think it talks a little bit about access. Like I, I personally think that everybody has like that goes to Gettysburg College has a right and should know the numbers associated with how many people have tested positive. But now the interesting thing, and Anna, I would love your take on this about that. It's not just um, the numbers of how many people have tested positive or in quarantine at a time, but it's also the amount of people that have gone home. And we've seen this change in a rubric and we've seen this change in the way that we're handling the disciplinary measures of the entire situation. Um, and what do you think that that means for, you know, the culture of, uh, you know, we, we joked about this last semester of like the COVID cops or whatever, but how do you think it's really going to change the way that we're looking at disciplinary action in terms of COVID? Yeah, for sure. I think the dashboard has been a good way of making it, again, more transparent. Um, my question about the dashboard is that I feel like now that we have access to a little bit more information, I have more questions about it. So I, I am questioning why people are getting sent home. Like, what were the actual violations themselves? Um, I don't know if you two have felt the same way, but to some extent, since the since the rubric has been updated, I'm wondering, you know, at what point are students getting sent home? Because we know that obviously there are violations happening every day, um, whether they're unintentional or intentional or egregious or not that egregious. Um, but what caused, you know, these specific students to be sent home? Um, I'm also interested in just, I think it raises a lot of questions about the contracted out security guards um, with that we know is G-Force. Um, and I, I don't know if you have noticed, but I've noticed a greater presence of just enforcement on campus. And I think to an extent that was a reaction to just parents and students being so frustrated with last semester. But at the same time, what does it mean that we have the security presence on our campus? Um, so it feels like we've gone from maybe not enough enforcement to maybe kind of this fear-based policy, which maybe isn't the intention, but I think, I know that I am like, wait, am I six feet apart from this person as I'm standing in servo? Like, what am I going to get written up for? And that could be, you know, virtue of me just being concerned and wanting to make it through my senior spring. But at the same time, I think there are more people actively looking um, for violations. And I, and I just wonder, you know, how effective it is to stop the spread, if there is community spread, like are these the violations that are going to be causing the community spread or are they gonna be behind closed doors? And how are we monitoring closed doors? And Gary, I know, I know we've talked about off-campus housing posing an issue for DPS and, and Bill Lafferty and I talked about this at length in the fall, but just the fact that legally DPS doesn't have a right to step foot on the property of these off-campus houses, which are, you know, mostly juniors and seniors or, mostly upper class students who can host parties, but then they're not being 
there's no enforcement mechanism for those groups of people. And, and I haven't noticed any changes in terms of that, probably because it's legally impossible. But um, when I see G-Force on campus, like outside Servo, it's like part of me is thinking, this isn't where the spread's going to happen if, if there is spread. Um, and I don't know, the virus is constantly evolving and the variants are posing a new challenge, but that, that's kind of where I am with all of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that the conversations that I've had about like the G4 situation and like just DPS as a whole has been like the, the critiques that I think students and faculty and administration and parents have been giving was a lot about the off-campus parties. I think it was a lot about Greek life and Rush. I, I mean, we talked about this at length last semester about this idea that, you know, we don't want to point fingers, but like right now was the time, like that, at that point, that was the time to point fingers. We saw, we saw a huge spike right after Rush and we saw it specifically in the sophomore class who were the ones that were rushing and then no one wanting to say those those numbers or those like say those names and then we have a bunch of Greek life students coming on our town hall saying like let's not point fingers and now we see this shift um with with DPS and G4 specifically you know uh do like honestly these uh policing these minor infractions so we've seen students that have been uh, uh you know marked up for for holding a door open for somebody or sitting too close in line at bullet and like, yeah, sure. Distance, wear your mask, all of those things. But when I think uh, students and the greater community was asking for more enforcement of policies, I think it was more towards the policies that were already in place. So if you're going to say that a student should be removed from campus for hosting a party, they should be removed from campus for hosting a party, I think was the main conversation. And I think this leads into a greater conversation about now. And I think we'll talk about this more, in the Gettysburg about um, what this really does mean for Greek life and what this means for, I think, the general like college party atmosphere as a whole. We saw uh, Phi Gamma Delta and Delta Gamma fraternity and sorority receive sanctions for what seems like the first time since I've been on campus of seeing a Greek organization really face repercussions for anything. Um, and it was about their COVID violations. And the the then the choice was made to not have any uh greek life in their fraternity so fiji phi gamma delta their house is being you know just regular students are living in there and there's some fraternities that are just completely closed off right now and then we have fraternity brothers and sorority sisters that usually live together you know like living together in smaller pockets in the quarry apartments or an apple or just wherever um but I think the question everybody's waiting to ask is when will the bubble pop? When will everything start up again? Will there be a some sort of spring recruitment? Um, and Mary, not to always push my Greek life questions onto you, but I think I think the question really is how is like how are Greek organizations as a whole responding to what happened to Fiji, what happened to Delta Gamma? Because really, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this is the largest level of sanction that I've seen on a Greek organization in the four years that we've been here. I think that's right. Um, I I mean, I don't really know like exact stats, so I can't definitely say yes or no to that, but that sounds right. Um, I think Greek organizations, like everyone's going to have their own response. I know ours is we just like everything we do together is over Zoom. We don't do anything in person. Um, and yeah, um, you know, during meetings, we'll talk about like, be safe, make sure you're washing your hands, wear your mask, like all eyes are on us. Like don't, basically don't screw up. Um, and I would hope that other Greek organizations were taking the same route um, because if you're gonna complain about being blamed, then don't don't give people a reason to blame you. And I'm saying that as a Greek member. So like, just don't, don't be at the cause of another outbreak, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's definitely different um, being in Greek life in the pandemic, um, we're not doing 
nearly as much as we used to because on top of like you know the parties that everyone thinks about um there's no like for us sisterhood events philanthropy events um just seeing your people in person um in general so it's definitely a different atmosphere i think after last semester though especially since fraternities can't be like in their houses really um that it will be much less of an issue um that being said i have no idea what spring rush is going to do for that um spring rush is not really a huge thing of sorority so i can't really speak to that um it's usually much smaller scale i think for fraternities than what fall would be like but again like i can't really speak to that um because i don't really like know how that works Yeah, for sure. And Mary, as you were talking, I, I was thinking about just my conversation with Eliana last, or I think it was two or three weeks ago at this point, but one of my questions just had to do with retention rates. And um, I, I know that we've all taken a look at the strategic plan that President Eliana has pushed out, but a lot of it is focused on the demographic shifts that are coming our way and, and these concerns that were very big concerns prior to the pandemic. So it's not only retention rates, but also the size of these incoming classes. And, and part of me is like, I think this is connected to Greek life. Like if, if you go to Gettysburg with the assumption that you're going to have an experience that involves Greek life or a social, you know, and this is the same at any, at any college, but part of me is wondering how much these sanctions and these rules are affecting our retention rate. Um, and, you know, I asked President Uliano this and, and he said right now that, you know, historically our, num our numbers have been better, but that it hasn't posed, you know, a huge, a huge shift. But I'm just wondering as, as, as this pandemic just continues to go on, is this going to affect people's decision to come to Gettysburg if they're, if they're coming for that sort of social experience? I don't really know. But the other question is the graph cliff. And so liberal arts colleges, I mean, every liberal arts college, especially in the Northeast, is facing these issues of this, you know, this changing market. College is super expensive now. And if we think about it, I think in the strategic plan, it said that in 2013, Gettysburg College's enrollment was 2,700 people, um, like 2,700 students. And that was a high point. That was great. And then this year, our number's closer to 2,500. And this is actually like a really tangible shift for us in terms of where our money is coming from. So it makes me wonder about how much the pandemic and COVID has accelerated our concerns about the demographic cliff that used to be sort of impending, but now it seems to be kind of upon us. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's kind of ironic. I was thinking about, Mary, I think we've talked about this a little bit last semester about like the tour guide lie about how much, how many Greeks we actually do have on campus or just like the social life. And we, we tout Gettysburg to, you know, have this 33% of students are in Greek life. But if you take out the first year class, it's really like 50% or higher. Um, so maybe what ends up happening is that we end up having less uh, students that are interested in Greek life, but we have students that are really interested in not having that kind of experience on campus. I think it's really interesting what COVID has done for the Greek sphere, just because we, you know, I think we all have this image of uh, Bob when he came to campus, just because of Harvard situation with Greek life. And they have this like kind of rule against it. And it's considered to be this really, really taboo thing to be a part of. And we all expected him to chop down Greek life. And then he got here and then everyone expected him to be, in Greek life's pocket and now we're in this kind of in-between phase of well he's they seem to be calling out certain organizations but they're calling them out for COVID violations and we're not talking about you know the institutional issues that we've been asking for and I think that we'll see the semester a larger discourse about uh the benefits of Greek life especially in a current COVID and a post-COVID world, um, you know, conversations about uh, just general, uh, uh, um, like, behavior. Um, now that we're, it keeps coming back to this idea that we're not considering 
within the college sphere of people not following COVID procedure and COVID guidelines to be this disciplinary issue. Um, it's, it's really funny in my res life training, it felt as though like we cared a little bit less about underage drinking or, or, you know, all the things that you're usually told to care about. And it's a lot more about the COVID stuff, which is like, you know, maybe it's also letting us put into scope, like the reality of like, this is college and like the things that we should be caring about. And yeah, we should be caring about each other's health. And that's a great thing that we're reframing things around. Um, but then when we add in the G-force of it all and just this idea of like extra policing of situations, um, it becomes this very dystopic thing very quickly, I feel like. And, and maybe that is what um, people in the Greek life system are also viewing. Um, you know, this, this over-policing and this over-sanctioning of a very minor, minor infractions, like uh, helping someone move in or, or holding a door open or standing in line and bullet, you know, what can you do? Bullets only so big. If it's, if it's at capacity, like you got to make the lines bigger, I guess. Um, now looking ahead, Anna, I know that we've spoken briefly like in our own sphere about, you know, topics that we want to be looking at this semester. You know, I know we've spoken about looking at Greek life, but also looking at, you know, um, this new, uh, resurgence of discussing matters of sexual assault at Gettysburg, which I think will come up even more as Mary and I talk a little bit in the new segment about, you know, Julie Ramsey's replacement, which would cover Title IX. Um, but for you, looking as like editor-in-chief of like kind of, you know, the guiding force of what we cover, what are topics that are important to you, COVID or not, um, to be looking at this semester uh, you know, we just come out of 2020. We're in a new, uh, we have a new uh, president of the United States, but we also, are, you know, we saw an incredible turnover with the president's council that we continue to see happening. Yeah, for sure. And I know that Ben, Ben and I talked about how last year and during, you know, his tenure as editor in chief, a major focus was like the fiscal realities that the college is facing. And and this sort of ongoing discussion about, you know, not only this demographic cliff, but, you know, how can the college become less tuition dependent and all of these huge, huge realities facing Gettysburg right now. And I definitely do want to continue those conversations and continue covering that story because it's big. Um, but as I think we spoke about this over the summer, Gary, I think, I think a little bit of a shift that we're going to be seeing is more covering, more coverage, I should say, of the social circles of Gettysburg and what it all means for the students. So covering, you know, what does Greek life mean? What does it mean to not be a member of Greek life? Um, our distinctive programs, what does it mean <clears throat> to be involved in each of these distinctive programs? Sorry. <clears throat> um, so I think another ongoing story that I really would like to cover is the EI executive director search that has been ongoing since 2018. And <clears throat> after talking with President Uliano, he said that, you know, the, the pandemic has complicated the search, but I'm just wondering how he wants to reframe our distinctive programs. And he, he's spoken about his goals for, you know, the Eisenhower Institute. And I just wonder what those are and, and if we're going to be able to accomplish those during this moment in time. Um, so I think that's a really important story that we should be covering right now. And in terms of survivors and sexual assault, I think with the new administration and changes to Title IX and with Amanda Blower as someone who's relatively new to the scene in terms of, of um, new to the Gettysburg scene, I should say, um, to kind of help out with the, the current situation on campus. I mean, it's no secret that sexual assault is a problem nationwide and it is, you know, no less of a problem necessarily on our campus than it is across the board. Um, I think what makes Gettysburg different is it's smaller. So it feels like maybe um, Amanda Blauer, who's someone coming from Penn State, this huge school and coming to Gettysburg, it makes me wonder um, the challenges and the things that might be easier for her. So I think that's also gonna be a story that we can pursue. <clears throat> I'm also wanting to really dig into this strategic plan that President Uliano's put out and kind of dig into, is this strategic plan just as 
you know, exciting or a little bit maybe risky as it would have been had COVID never happened? Or how, how has his perspectives on the college changed because of what has happened in the past year? And I think we're all dealing with that, but I, I and that, you know, you said, what stories other than COVID do you want to cover? But I think President Uliano's first year, we did that whole, you know, then and, and the news team, we all covered just an analysis of what his priorities were the first year. And I'm wondering how have those priorities shifted? Do you feel like we can still accomplish these goals that were lofty, but attainable back then? Um, so how is diversity and inclusion going to look? These, these, these different things that he really wanted to engage the campus community in. Uh, I'm just wondering what his perspectives and the president's council are on all of that. And I think that'll come with lots of interviews and longer form journalism. Um, and with, the magazine coming back and actually printing again. I think our, our readership is really gonna, um, going to, I should say, uh, <laughs> enjoy those stories. So we'll see what all of this means, but I think our whole team is, is excited to be back. And the fact that uh, we're, the majority of us are on campus again, I think all of our section editors are on campus is making pursuing these stories a lot easier. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end it on. So Anna, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to seeing, I mean, I say that as if I'm not part of it, but like, I look forward to seeing what ends up, you know, being dug out of the woodwork and what um, you're able to pick out of Bob's brain in terms of his priority shifting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it also. And it's so nice to be back on campus and I'm, I'm happy that I get to see both of you from a distance. <laughs> That's it for this week's On Target. We would like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. We'd also like to thank our guest, Anna Sincata. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a 2019 graduate of the Centerman Conservatory of Music. <laughs>